Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by ListenNotes.com, so you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast today. It's such a blessing to have you with us again as we witness the continuous degradation of our society. One thing that continues to catch news headlines is the rampant violent crime happening all over America right now, mainly in our inner cities, but it's not exclusive to those cities. You know, teenagers taking guns into school, elementary kids taking guns into schools, kids killing kids over things that used to just be resulting in fistfights. Now they settle it with guns. Add to that the ever-increasing allure of money and fame by so-called music icons whose lyrics does nothing but promote violence and things like that. Well, Brother Bob, that's just the culture. You know, the music reflects what's happening in the streets. Well, my response is, why is it happening to begin with? What has caused us to accept this as normal? Take just one city, for example. In America, we have the city of Chicago. Do you realize there's been more murders there over the last 10 years than the military experienced in their 10 years in Afghanistan? Think about that. But yet, that's just normal. Here in Baltimore, whenever there's a brazen daylight shooting, inevitably, during the news interview, someone's going to say something to the effect of, well, that's just the way it is living in Baltimore. Why have we accepted this as normal? What can be done about it? What are some of the personal ramifications that others experience besides the victims and the perpetrators? Our guest today is Michelle Jackson. I've known Michelle for several years now. She's an author and a podcast host. She has just released her long-awaited book, A Prisoner's Pardon, at about the time you are listening to this episode. I did an interview with her recently which you can find on the KCR podcast as episodes 1294 and 1295, where we discussed her companion book, The Pharaoh's Butler and Baker, The Unknown Power of Forgiveness. Today, though, we are focusing on her new book, A Prisoner's Pardon. Help me welcome back to the program my good friend, Michelle Jackson. Michelle, it is so great to have you back on today. Oh, wow. I'm so happy to be here, Pastor Bob. I'm very happy to be here. I'm so excited about the, about the new release. Amen. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And and for those that may have missed our prior interview, can you tell us in your own words, who is Michelle Jackson? Well, um, I go by the pen name CC Sky, and I was a former energy analyst for a gas company here in the Wisconsin area. And I recently retired because I wanted to pursue my passion in writing and just follow a mission I believe God has given me to do to reach the the lost, to reach those that's in darkness and don't accept um, what we are accepting now in our culture as norm, just like you said, because that bothered me all while I was growing up, why do why are we keep accepting this? What is the answer? 
So this has been my um, passion and why I write the way I write and what I write so that we can find those answers. Amen. Amen. And, and, you know, your your twin brother has been in and out of prison his whole life. Mm -hmm. But as I just said in the opening, his incarceration does not only affect him, but everyone around him as well. Correct. Yes. Yes. When I, when we were growing up, my twin brother and I, it's always was asked like, where is he at? And because I had to answer, it always was brought to my attention. I started to wonder why and started actually analyzing him earlier than I, than I was aware of asking him questions and um, uh, talking to my mother about it. And if you grow up in, um, you know, the household with the older people, they always go back to the stories and, you know, like, oh, he's like cousin so-so or uncle such and such, you know, it's always one of those in the family, but it wasn't answering, <laughs> you know, yeah, the question yeah. for me growing up there. And it's, and it was like, you had to rearrange everything for them. Like it, it became like what you see now in society and culture that the ones that's perpetrating the crime, the person, the victims uh, are more accountable. They make the victims more accountable than the perps, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, and that was actually done in my household as well. So, you know, I understand it in this little microcosm and that's what the whole book is about you know, showing it in a microcosm, what's really happening in a, a large scale and growing up in Chicago, this has been happening. You know, what's going on is like, wow, this is, this book needs to be out so people can see what's going on. Yeah. And, you know, someone, my dad was in and out of prison half of his life as well. Mm -hmm. uh, my, I was basically raised by my grandparents hmm. most of my life broken up by a couple of years where I'd be back with him as he was out and then he'd be back in. So I'd be back with my grandparents. When he got out, I went back with him, you know, mm -hmm. that happened like three times, but, uh, you know, share a little bit about how this affects the family a little bit. You know, um, I talk about it a lot in the book and this is going to give you anybody a good insight into a family that deals with this that you, what you normally wouldn't see. And it's it's a big financial burden. It's an emotional burden. Uh, my mom was going through guilt. Like if there's something else she could have done, um, I was always trying to fix them. And when they're doing that, all attention is on them. Nobody else exists. Mm -hmm. And you're not trying to deal with any other issue, but that issue, because it's so in your face. And it's it's really devastating for the whole family. It's not just, you know, they talk about victims of the perps being like who they committed the offense against, but not they don't uh, we don't see the family going through all the heartache, you know, all the um, emotional struggle that you go through. Um, that you have a loved one out there that keeps doing that. And then you have to it's an embarrassment, you know too, is, you know, we have to go into those facilities and we are, a lot of times we get treated as like criminals as well, because we're coming to visit them. And it's, it's the whole experience. It's like you, the family goes to jail right with them. Yeah, man, so true. Now in your book, A Prisoner's Pardon, 
This is basically a reflection of your journal entries. Why did you choose that format to write this book? Because, you know, it gives an insight into the characters more specifically than just showing the um just writing the story. It it tells you behind what happened behind the scenes and why I come to the conclusion. It makes it more real because you know you can people can easily more identify to a actual event that happened and have it um being unfolded from a journal entry and um and with me I in writing, I express myself way more than if I was just being interviewed by you or or, any, or anybody else. When I'm journaling, everything comes out. Everything. <laughs> that stuff I don't even realize that I have going on inside my head. So, and, and, and that was one of the first things that caught my attention was, you know, wow, these are like you know, not daily journal entries. I'm, I'm sure you just picked out the pertinent ones mm-hmm. put in the book. But uh, I was like, this is like giving an insight into your thoughts, your emotions, your feelings. And it, it, it's just like laying it bare for everyone to read. Yeah, that's, um, I'm excited about the book being out. But then again, I'm not so excited that it's like everybody's gonna know me now, but uh, including my own family, and um, you know, it it can be a little bit embarrassing. But you know, um, I had to come to the conclusion that the story isn't really about me; it's what God can do through me. Yeah. Um, it's really His story. Yeah. Amen. Amen. You know, there's been numerous prison reform programs passed by various levels of legislatures, you know, over the years. And in your opinion, why don't these programs work? Um, because it's only it's only dealing with the outside and it's not hitting what's going on the inside of a person because the person needs to have an inner transformation. Cause I saw it happening with my brother and others like him. It's not about resources, but, and, you know, regardless of what you hear out here all the time, oh, they're not, they don't have any jobs. You really have to pour more money into this and that, but that's not true. Um, it's really the person themselves that they have to conquer, I would call demons or whatever that's in them, because it doesn't matter what the resources are. They, If you are determined, if you have the right motivation through I believe, the grace of God, and you can it don't take much. You can actually start seeing changes uh, right away with the opportunities, with what's around them. It doesn't matter what's around. They can all, always do the changes, but they can't see that until they change from the inside. So right now they're keep focusing on the outside and that's really, that, that's not priority. You know, you can make some changes, of course, you know, you can make things better, but it's not going to be lasting change that what's needed. You have to change the person on the inside first before any of those I call programs work. Otherwise, Amen. it's just a waste of money. Yeah. Amen. Amen. You know, you've done a lot of research for your book in the area of the decline of the family in the Black community. Share some of the things that you've discovered in writing this book. Oh, yeah. I got some some doozies. Uh, of course, we'll talk about... Um, you know, the great society brought in by um, Johnson um, in the 60s. And it's supposed 
supposed to help the poor Americans, mostly Blacks, because we were not that long out of um, slavery. And what I found was looking at the stats, it actually um, harmed the family because of the welfare system. It actually had it where the father couldn't be in the home in order for the mother to receive benefits. That was one of the biggest hits, I believe, for the Black family was the welfare is the welfare system and how it's set up. Um, another one is, um, I call it Planned Parent in the Hood, <laughs> because that started to um, actually take the rights away from parents. And the kids started to look to the government as the daddy, you know. So you took the father out and then you replaced the father. The government replaced itself as the father, you know on paper and things that I didn't even know came into effect until things happened, and which I mentioned in the story, you know, going through uh, my daughter, my daughter's journal and how they, you know, wanted to move to Indiana, you know, they have, they got free medical, they got section eight, they get phones, they get all this. So what's the you know, what's the incentive for them to go to school if you're going to give them free everything? And I look like the bad person again. I became the perp again, I, I I say, because I'm saying, no, you need to study and go to school, you know, so that you can be able to take care of yourself and not Uncle Sam. So that some of those things really, um, it caused the family um, to be deteriorated. Yeah, you know, I was listening to a radio interview driving several days ago, and the expert they had on was attributing a lot of the youth violence we've been seeing and experiencing, basically several factors. But the one he kept coming back to was no authority figure in the family. And that's what you're alluding to here. Yeah. And he said that the mothers, you know, when when they got a you know two, three year old and they're raising the boy, you know, he, she's the authority figure right there. But when he hits his teenage years and that testosterone starts kicking in and the growth spurts start happening and he's starting to bulk up a little bit, there comes a point when the mother can no longer invoke a sense of fear and retribution of the boy, but actually begins to fear him a little bit because, you know, that testosterone makes them lash out and they're angry and all that. And she actually begins to fear him. Have you seen yep. or discovered any oh. information in that area? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, that happened. And I describe it in a book as well. You know, and I describe my mother's discipline as a passing rain shower, whereas when my father was home, it was thunder and lightning. <laughs> you know, it's it's totally different. A woman cannot do what a man uh, can do for us a father. I've seen the difference. I've seen the difference in my, my brother. I've seen the difference in myself. You know, all my dad had to do was give us a look, you know, that was it. And then game over, you know, yep, but, yep. um, Amen. but my I mom, know that look. you that, know that look, <laughs> but the mom, eh, she just going to talk a little bit and, eh, and then it's going to be over with, you know, but, and he, and he understood that we understood that. And yeah, that time period is a brief that they can discipline. But then when he had that growth spurt, like you said, you, it was no way she can discipline him. It was more so she had to, we were like, I would say almost prisoners in our own home. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what you see. Yeah. 
my daughter sent a meme to me the other day and it, it, it had two photos side by side on it and showed one a drill sergeant, you know, yelling and you know, like mm-hmm. you know, standing, yelling, and then the other one was the same guy, but in a different. It was mo- it was movie character, same mm-hmm. guy in a different character, you know, with you know, with candy and stuff like this. Right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she the the caption said, "This was my dad when we were growing up. This is my dad with the grandkids." Uh-huh. <laughs> That's true. That's true. They're they're much different with the grandkids. <laughs> And I had to agree. I say, yep. <laughs> you know? I don't know why we just fall in love with our, you know, even the grandmas. We even worse. Well, with, because uh, we can give them back when we're tired. Yeah, we don't have to do all that. <laughs> we don't have to do all that. Yeah, so. amen, amen. Well, let's talk about church influence. Hmm. Do you feel the church has failed in this area that we're talking about? I think so, because... It's um it's a big social issue that I don't see being addressed. You know, most even in the church, mostly you see is women. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't see many men in the church, especially in um these offices, and it's all female all the time. And I think it's it's really having a really bad impact. Um, I would like to see more males step in and and, um, and also like the churches, I described it in one of the scenes, like a, it's a social club. It's a place where you go socialize and you don't um, hold anybody accountable um, to toe the line. It's, it's like ignored. Um, it's no church discipline either. So it's no authority there either. So, you know, the pastors are not seen as an authority figure. They just seen as some, I guess, a spokesperson to get up and say a few things. And, (laughs) you know, I've seen in your book where you discuss the fact that uh, churches are failing to address sin in the community. uh, Explain that for us. It's um, because, because of that. And that's what I see that, that because they don't talk about sin and what it looks like, you know, they'll just mention it. But it's like they, you know, what I find is people don't know what it looks like practically when they see sin. They have like all this crime and all this stuff. Like I connect the dots in the book. That's a product. That's a result of sin. It's sin. It starts with sin. And what you're seeing here is not guns and bullying. Um, you know, they're hitting all these other things like, um, you know, but sin is the driver you know, of those vehicles that's doing that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Amen. And they're, you know, I know I've seen this in a lot of churches. And if you question the pastor about it, I say, you know, if I start preaching on sinful lifestyles, sinful choices, people aren't going to come back. They want to come to church to feel good. <laughs> and, you know, and to me, that is like, the opposite of what I read in the Bible. The Bible saying, don't do that or this will happen. But you can come to me for forgiveness and change how you're living and all these blessings await you, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and But, you know, I mean, I had one guest this a couple of years ago. I can't remember the name right now. And he said, he was, he's a black guy, but he said, mm-hmm. you know, the church leadership, especially in the African-American community, because we were discussing this, 
mm. has sided up with the politicians for political favors and monetary favors Ooh. and and social status, you know, because they want to be, oh, you're friends with Congressman so and so type thing, right? And uh, he said, this has led to the watering down of the gospel, directly to the watering down of the gospel and actual caring for the members of the church. He said, all of this, coupled with the social programs aimed at destroying the family unit yep. in favor of the government as your provider, as, as you were talking about, has actually worked to the opposite effect of their intentions. And, and do you see that as well? Oh, so those are facts. Uh, and that's exactly what he told you, what's going on, that you see a lot of the leadership, you know, they want, you know, they have the itching ears. The people in the audience have mm -hmm. the itching ears and they need the funding. And then you have also, too, a lot of the churches are government funded. They got this tax thing. They don't want to offend about talking about social issues you know about sin and the impacts because they're threatened with losing their you know their tax mm -hmm. right off so you have that double effect um i will point out not all pastors and churches right. are like that yeah. but a good good um you know, a good portion of it is that that's why when you see these crimes go on, you don't see uh, churches stepping out like they should. You know, when those riots were just happening in Chicago, you know, I did hear about some pastors possibly getting out. I didn't see it, but it should be way more prevalent. They should be coming out and um, actually coming alongside mothers and single mothers and doing more for the family and more teaching about family oriented stuff instead of, you know, just taking authority and, and just having, you know, being salt in life yeah. instead of letting this Amen. stuff go on. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> As you mentioned that going right. out in the middle of the riots, I remember <laughs> there was a, a, when we had the riots in Baltimore, this mother seen her son, you know, they were doing the live shots, you know, and stuff, seeing her son down there. She went down there, found him, <laughs> grabbed him by the ear, started pulling him back home. He was, he's, you know, she was a little, you know, like five foot two and he's a six foot tall. She got him by the ear. He's bent down. <laughs> and it was live on the news. Oh, she's wow. dragging him back home. I was like, you know, he's going to be ribbed. Oh, boy. Oh, <laughs> oh, he's never living that down. That's going to be played over and over again. It was. It was out of all the social media <laughs> stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's what you need though that's that's what we call old school raising Amen. you know uh Amen. like i like to quote um you know um uh, i like adrian rogers but also um what did he say um turn i can't remember the name yeah he said uh putting the rod of correction on the 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 board no putting the board yeah the rod of correction on the board of knowledge or board of knowledge against, I can't say it right. Let me just quit it. <laughs> I'm going to mess it all up. But anyway, it's just going back to that old school yeah. and, and the schools are different. Before yeah. we used to get paddled at school oh, and yeah. come home I and get another and get mm -hmm. another one. Because they call your daddy. They, we were yeah. we were just like please don't call you know we we were just wanted that one and rather when they get home they are you you getting mad at home with the same practice mm -hmm. so they yep. stuck together so amen yeah i, I remember them days you know say so not only did i get the paddle at school at school then 
I Come knew what was coming when I got home. And got <laughs> home and got another one. You just yeah. begged the teacher. They weren't hearing it, though. <laughs> That's why, you know, my kids, you know, parent-teacher conferences, they hated those days because mm -hmm. I, I'd tell the teacher in front of them. <laughs> mm -hmm. so if they act up, you deal with it. I support mm -hmm. you 100% and yeah. call me. Because when they get home, I'm going to deal with it, too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're, yeah. they're sitting there yelling. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't such thing as what they're doing now. He's like, what? And I mentioned that stuff. We didn't have no privacy in our rooms. You know you know how they say, what you coming in my room for? Mm. You know, we couldn't have no closed doors like that. <laughs> nope. My daughter tried locking the door one time. I broke it off the, the, the door frame. There's a bam. <laughs> what are you doing in here? That broke my door. Yeah. Now you can't lock it. <laughs> I know. That's why I didn't we fix it for like a year. <laughs> That's what you do. That's why I, I frown up. I'm like, what are they talking about? They didn't know what they had in their room. We they our parents knew everything. They had they had that. My mom had that mother hearing too. And you know, <laughs> she had I talk about that. She had she Eyes in the back of her head. <laughs> she had that Don't multi. Touch that. <laughs> she would throw that shoe. And I told her, well, Miss B, why she on the phone? You know, you think you about to do <laughs> She read and throw the shoe at you. You'd be like, how did she even know that yeah, I was doing stuff? Then? But yeah, it was, it's totally different how they raise kids. You ain't lying. Hey, man. Praise God. Now you're bringing back some childhood memories. I know. <laughs> These kids so back got on the made. topic of your book, <laughs> uh, Prisoner's Pardon. I read in one instance, you asked your brother. Hey, folks, Pastor Bob here. We're out of time for today's portion of this great interview with Michelle Jackson. Now, I've known Michelle for several years now. She is a straight shooter who is passionate about her topic. Amen. And everything she has shared, to this, shared today with us is straight from the heart. And I encourage you, drop down the show notes, get in touch with Michelle, and while you're thinking about it, click the links to order her two books. I mean, you need to order these things right now, especially A Prisoner's Pardon. This book is going to be a game changer. Amen? Buy a couple of books. Buy one for your church. Give one to your pastor. And folks, be sure to come back for the conclusion of this great interview with Michelle in the very next episode. Till then, this is Pastor Bob reminding you, be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.com podcastersforchrist.com That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Are you a Christian entrepreneur, coach, or author with a message that needs to be heard? Picture this, your voice reaching thousands, your story inspiring hearts, and your business flourishing like never before. 
Introducing Faithcasters, the ultimate platform that connects faith-driven professionals like you with the power of podcasting. Become a sought-after guest on Faith-Based Podcasts. Share your unique insights and connect with like-minded individuals who share your passion for faith and entrepreneurship as well. Imagine your expertise reaching a wider audience, expanding your network, and propelling your business to new heights. Well, it's all within reach with Faithcasters. So don't wait. Take the first step today on your journey to greatness by visiting our website at faithcaster.org. That's faithcaster.org. Join the Faithcasters community now and unleash the full potential of your faith-driven enterprise. You do not want to miss this opportunity. Faithcasters, where faith meets podcasting and your dreams become reality. Visit faithcaster.org. Let's soar together. And remember, anyone can be a podcaster, but only a Christian can become a faithcaster. Faithcasters, your voice, your platform, your success. Yeah.